0: Hello, I am now live, and let me hit this other thing. Hi, this is Elliot, and welcome to our uh, CTS Us, Facebook Live. Today's Thursday. I forgot what date it is, but I know this is Memorial Day weekend coming up. Today's May 26th. It's June, in a few days, which is why I was finishing up with Lily. The pearls is like 230 pearls for next month, and probably 150 articles from this past month. So a lot of really cool things are going on. We're in the middle of the contrast shortage. Uh, I think you probably all have read enough about that. Good reviews in radiology, AJR, JACR. I think everyone's managing. Uh, hopefully will not be as bad as we thought it was gonna be. I know GE is working hard. The plants are opening uh, in Shanghai with more workers, the uh, places like in Norway and the Norway and Ireland are working overtime and they're producing more contrast and instead of shipping it by a slow boat from China, as one would say, they're shipping it by air freight. So probably it gets there in two days rather than two to four weeks. So um, we still need to be very careful until we have all the supplies with us. But in the short term, uh, I think things are getting better. and Things are looking up. Uh, and uh, there are uh, seminars you can listen to There's something I'm participating in at 1230 which is in 28 minutes from RSNA there have been things from JACR I mentioned and a number of different things but um, hope you're all managing and actually uh, today is a little different than most of our things most of the uh, uh, series I kind of tell you a a topic like last week we had uh, uh, quizzes and people seem to like the quizzes. So we're doing more of those. But now actually what this one's meant to do is for you guys to ask us questions. And so, um, that's really what the purpose of this one is. So if you, if you guys ask me questions, then I'll be able to answer them. So let me see, I'm trying to figure out, I pressed a button here, which kind of made my thing really small, but okay. So I, I do have some questions people have, Uh, Well, one, of course, you know, like a bunch of them relate to uh, contrast, how are you managing. I think radiology needs to be at the front of the line figuring out what to do. But again, uh, even places like Hopkins, for example, radiology uses 65% of the contrast. A third of the contrast is used (coughs) by other departments. So it's very important that everybody be involved. Maybe it needs to be central. One can think about things. Hold on. need my I need my drink here one can think about things for example like with COVID it wasn't that every department came up with a plan Um, certain departments medicine ER were more central in the plans but everyone kind of followed along the story so I think that that made it very very uh, made it very very helpful and I think uh, that's a very important way of doing things so you need to have buy-in People, have there was a note from Hopkins today that went out to the referring docs, how we're all trying to manage together, uh, and again, I think that's all great. I think um, everyone working together is probably an ideal way of doing things, and I think it's an easier way, perhaps, of making certain that uh, things go well and that there's no finger pointing. One of the things people have commented on, perhaps, is, you know, um, what if you don't give enough contrast? If you do a study poorly oh, and you get sued three years from now, you're not going to be able to blame contrast, okay? I promise you. So it's very important that you conserve contrast the best you can, but do not make the mistake that you could do a bad study. So some studies don't need contrast, some studies we've cut back a lot from 100 to 75 cc's or a neuro from 75 to 50. So there are things you can do without really sacrificing the quality all that much. Yes, I understand the studies are not going to be Picasso's and maybe it's not going to be the one that you're going to publish in your journal. But on the other hand, uh, it is, um, it's good enough in, in this period of time. So I think that becomes very important. We don't want to compromise patient care. Other things, of course, you can do depending where you are. Um, some cases ultrasound can be used, MR, fluoro, I mean, all sorts of things can be done. Fluoro may not be good, you can have to use up some contrast, but um, there's a whole bunch of things you can do. So I think that becomes very important to to really, uh, to really do that and and really um, uh, just be cognizant of the fact that things can be really, really uh, really challenging and we need to make sure we get through the challenge. Other things going on, um, just uh, one thing that you'll read about that we're doing, um, we'll post it on CTSS I'm sure, is that um, we are uh, working with Microsoft which we have for the past maybe six to eight months but now it's officially signed so we have for the next two or three years with Microsoft with support by Lust Garden, that we work in early detection of pancreatic cancer, but a whole bunch of things, including looking at cystic lesions, predicting whether or not it's a lesion that needs to be followed, whether there's dysplasia or early malignancy, it should be someone we follow or don't need to follow. We're going to have predictive analytics. We're using a lot of the work that Microsoft has done now, just to be clear, it's Microsoft AI for good, which is their charitable arm, so it's really great. Um, we have, we're working with incredible people, Juan Ferez and his team of 25 are just amazing computer scientists and statisticians and really a range of really, really, really smart people. So we're very excited to be working with them. And I think you're gonna see a bunch of publications, but more importantly, I think you're gonna see a lot of really important work, seminal work, that is gonna impact how we practice radiology over the next couple of years. So I'm exceedingly excited about that. We also have been working. Someone asked, What are we working on? We just presented a Marge uh who is here in part at NYU with Chris Wolfgang, presented at DDW, which is the GI Digestive Disease Week. There's a pancreas club held on Sunday, about 300 people typically attend. And he presented some of our work on radiomics of neuroendocrine tumors and his. a paper was chosen as one of the top three papers there basically it was able to look at how good we can be using ct with radiomics and predicting whether a tumor is grade one or grade two and three remember a grade one tumor neuroendocrine you can simply follow but grade two and three you need to resect so it'd be really a great way of being able to manage patients we could look and determine whether or not we need to worry about this lesion. We're also doing work on sequential scans, trying to figure out do lesions change from a 1 to a 2 to a 3 over time, and how we would need to manage those patients. But I think there's a lot of very interesting work going on, and that paper will be written. I know Amara is scheduled to do the first draft and get it done by uh, middle of June, so I think hopefully we'll all be able to read it. But it does push the point about where radiomics is going. We've had great results with radiomics in pancreatic cancer uh, detection, as well as pancreatic cancer for um, uh, looking at response to chemotherapy. So um, we are kind of excited about that. And um, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to uh, push that toward mainstream. Uh, and so I think it, it, that part's really, really good as well. Let me see, um, what else? What other questions am I getting? Uh, people want to know, uh, you know, what, what do we see in the coming year? You know, what's the new challenges? I think um, the biggest challenge in radiology, and this is the tech level, the nurse level, the doctor level, is staffing. I think everybody is understaffed and everybody is overworked. I think um, the post-COVID numbers are very good for radiology, surely in the financial side of things but someone has to read the films. And I think that's becoming a burden. Also, you know, COVID has changed the workforce. Probably some of these things would have changed over the next 30 years, but I think in a little over two years, COVID has done 30 years of change. The thought that a radiologist would read from home, unless that person was a teleradiologist who did that full time, was unlikely. We had nobody reading from home at Hopkins. Now a lot of rotations are from home. Um people want to work from home. Many institutions, including our own, are hiring people who are remote, who never will step foot in this building, will be reading remotely in their pajamas or whatever they choose to wear. Um we'll have people in California, Washington, um, Kansas. And every institution you look at is doing the same thing. So all of a sudden you have people who really want to work, want to do good radiology, I guess, but want to do it from home. People want to control their schedule and control their life. It's interesting how that's going to work out. Even on the admins, secretaries, all of the, I won't call ancillary help, very important uh, colleagues of ours. Most institutions, people are working anywhere between two and three days at home at a minimum and they do not want to come back. Now, what does that mean long term? I have concerns. I think, you know, like my admin who's incredible. She worked from home a day or two a week. I think we will get by, you know, she's really good. And I just adjust to when she's here and prepare things in a certain way. But I think education, I think, you know, we still have COVID issues, but we all would admit the best way of teaching someone is sitting next to them And pointing and going through um, image by image. When you're doing remote you're kind of looking at the scan and then if there's a mistake or some comment you'll say something. You're not really there and the thing is when you're remote you're on a computer you're like Big Brother. People want to sit next to you. I think one of the things you know you've seen a few articles published in different journals where it says oh uh, the, the remote stuff, doing things by Microsoft or by Zoom is great. I think those articles, you know, maybe during COVID when you, people couldn't come in or people were sick and people wanted to spread apart, then it was a necessity, so I think we need to separate what's a necessity in times of crisis from what's the optimal thing you can do. I think there's no chance in hell, let's get down to the bottom line, that me looking at an image when I'm sitting on a computer is the same as me sitting next to you. I just don't think it's possible. I think if you ask the question, can you as a radiologist read the films as well remotely? If you have a good connection, you can. Maybe you're more comfortable, maybe you have less interruptions. There's a whole bunch of reasons why it might work. And I think in private practice, I can understand you need less seats. You need People can work more hours because there's no travel. You live in cities like LA, you know, you could be driving an hour and a half to work. But in terms of teaching, I know and I'm told that a lot of the residents, and this has nothing to do with Hopkins per se, a lot of the residents in many places are unhappy because they just don't feel they're getting that hands on experience that they would have gotten three years ago or they came to expect, and particularly residents who've been here before. Been in program before and they did two years and the last two were all remote, it was not the same thing. And I think all of us really would have a hard time saying it's exactly the same thing. So we'll have to see specifically where that goes in the future, but I think it's a challenge for radiology. It's less a challenge for medicine, right, or surgery, surely, because surgery, even in the worst of COVID, they were operating across the table from each other and with each other. So I think it's, a radiology type thing, and there's hardly any fields that are like radiology. How many fields can you read from home with the same accuracy and efficiency that you can at work? So it's a challenge for us. And again, I'm not arguing that you could read the films just as well, and you can get all the films done, but I am questioning, so I won't argue, but I'll question whether teaching suffers, education suffers, academic productivity suffers, all of the things that go beyond film reading do suffer so that's kind of what i think and that's what i could tell you so let's see there any other questions i'm getting a whole bunch of things some people have requested to be in my live video i guess we could be like snl and have an audience behind us that'd be kind of cool always wanted to i've been to snl many times way back when but i've never been on the stage singing Dancing, telling a joke. I think I have a few good jokes, but I don't think I could dance or sing. But I could do I could do a little Catskill comedy. I could do that. You know, I um, I can tell you some jokes, but I think maybe it's not the time. People have suggested, however, that I do make a Facebook live where I just tell jokes. And the jokes there's no curse words, and the jokes are in good taste. Um, they're almost all parakeet jokes and what can you say that who's gonna get insulted by you saying something about a parakeet? You know um, uh, I mean like okay, I'll give you my one joke and I'm gonna call it a day here. This guy uh, wants to buy a parakeet. He goes to the, to the store and um, he says how much is this parakeet they had like four parakeets. This one's a thousand dollars you know too expensive. This one 500. This one 400. This one, $10. He goes, well, they all look the same. Why is this one $10? He goes, well, this guy, this parakeet is the most annoying parakeet in the world. And he has a foul mouth and everything else. But for 10 bucks, you know, what do you got to lose? If you don't like him, you can give him back. So the guy gives him the 10 bucks, takes the parakeet home. And this parakeet is cursing and screaming and making all sorts of bad words and things. And And the owner is a very nice guy and he wanted to rehab the parakeet. So he would read him some Shakespeare's, have him play soft music like a little bit of Sinatra, um, some Beatles maybe. But no matter how nice he was to the parakeet, the parakeet still was foul mouth. He would curse and scream and make noise and all sorts of things. This man had great patience, but one day he just cracked. He grabbed the parakeet by the throat, opened his freezer, threw the parakeet in, and closed the freezer. There was a bunch of shuffling, then there was nothing. The guy walked away, then about 10 minutes later, he goes, oh my God, what have I done? So he, he composes himself, opens the freezer, goes in to grab the parakeet, and the parakeet walks out onto the guy's hand. Parakeet says, sir, I've been the worst pet ever. I'm the worst parakeet. I'm foul-mouthed, I'm nasty, I'm annoying. But I promise you, starting from this moment on, from this very moment, I will be the best pet anybody had. And the guy goes, that's wonderful. And then the parakeet goes, can I ask you one question, one other question? He goes, sure, what's the question? He goes, what did that chicken do? Okay, I'm going to say, what did that turkey do? But chicken's good enough. Anyway, all well, you chickens, you turkeys, and your parakeets, have a great day. And um, those of you who are uh, celebrating Memorial Day, Have a great Memorial Day weekend, and with that, I'll see you later.